Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, The Joyful Frugalista, and now here's your host, Serena Bird. Hello, Frugalistas, and welcome. In 2020, and again this year, many of us struggled with pivoting to change, and this included Roxanne Calder, my guest today, whose company was affected. But rather than be daunted, she has written a book about career success, Employable, Seven Attributes to Assure Your Working Future. And in this podcast, she is going to share some tips for getting ahead. While it's not what you earn, but what you save, you can certainly create powerful abundance by putting attention into your career. Welcome, Roxanne. Hi, Serena. Thanks so much for having me. Well, it's such an honor and a privilege to have you. As you know, I've enjoyed your book so much. And I'll be honest and say it wasn't what I expected. What I was actually expecting was a fairly preachy and patronizing book, not saying this is a reflection of you, but just of the mm-hmm. genre about how you should earn more. And I guess a lot of the sort of career advice I find is often a fairly male focused head right to the top type of stuff. But instead, what I found was a deeply compassionate and interesting book, actually. Congratulations on your book. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much. <laughs> And so what inspired you to write this book? Do you know, I think that, that question, you know, when I hear that question asked for different people for, when they come up with different ideas, they always come up with like a really smart, great one-liner that makes all sense. But for me, it's probably a multiple of, of situations when the timing was right. So I was approached by a publisher and I just thought, why not? But great idea. I, I hadn't thought about writing a book before and I wanted the challenge. But the reason that it was geared the way it is on, on those seven attributes is probably very much about seeing and believing in people. So one of the pleasures of my job in recruitment and also in managing teams is you get to meet people and you get to see what they can do and what their potential is. And certainly in our work environment, we call those people wild cards or gems because they're sort of sitting as an outlier, <laughs> but we know they can do the job. So in recruitment, it's one of the joys. And when you manage people, it's also one of the pleasures. And I think I've probably got a knack for identifying that in people. And then you've just got to believe in people and motivate and help and show them. So the book is sort of about that because I want to make it easy for people to see that you can actually achieve and do things in your life, in your career, and you know be really employable. But the other part of the book is also because the other disappointments that you get when you manage people is when they don't believe in themselves. So, so for me, I, and then you can only sort of push or pull so much, and then sometimes people just have to do it themselves as well. So this book is really about highlighting and helping people to understand all of these different attributes just to help people get there. So it's sort of twofold, and of course the whole COVID situation. I have never sort of experienced or seen so many people that upset, that distraught, and devastated with the job losses. It was a total shock. And so I'm hoping the book is like a bit of a guidance so that people can not have to feel like that again. Like if you lose your job, it's not the end of the world. It's totally fine. You'll be fine. <laughs> so people will be fine if, they, if they've lost their job during COVID. Yeah, I believe so for a whole lot of different reasons. One, if you've, I don't want to say read the book, but if you've read the book, you'll see that those attributes talk about all the different aspects and they're not, they're not difficult things necessarily. They're things that we, we all have and we can work on is one thing. And then the other thing is the way that the employment market is at the moment. There, There is a dire need in Australia for skilled skilled people. There's a there's an absolute shortage of people. So well, shortage of candidates. People will be fine, but 
you can't just sit back and expect things to come to you. You know, you need to get out there and make things happen as well. Thank you for that. And I had heard that as well through a friend who works in recruitment about this dire job shortage. And I've been a little bit surprised, to be honest, because going into pre-COVID, I, that wasn't my impression at all. Do you mean job or do you mean candidate shortage? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, no, see, pre-COVID, absolutely it was the situation. So if we go back to, well, let's let's just do 18, 19, there's been a, a candidate issue for a long time. But it's sort of like, oh, how do I give you a scenario? It's sort of like it's there, it's bubbling away, but unless you're in it all the time, you don't realise that it's real. So if you're an employer and you've been recruiting maybe every three months or every six months and the last time you recruited was five years ago and you could source someone like that and then in 2019 you went to recruit again and what you found was, oh, hang on, my shortlist doesn't match the job description totally and I don't have as many people to choose from. And hang on a sec, that person I interviewed yesterday has now taken another role. So these little things were happening, but instead people were putting it down to, oh, must have been bad luck or my recruiter's not very good or whatever it might have been. They would put it down to that when in actual fact we have a candidate shortage. And then, of course, we come into COVID and then COVID just simply just blew it up and made it worse. It just brought it right up to the surface. So the candidate issue is based on the aging population. We've got a whole lot of people who are exiting the workforce, like a chunk of people. And then on top of that, we have the birth rates that don't sit at replacement level. So from my memory, it was something like 3.5 ratio in, say, 1966 versus 1.6 in 2019, I think. So the, the, the replacement rates are not at the same level. So we've got that. And then, of course, COVID happened, which meant that we now have very little migration coming through. So we don't have any people coming through to help with that. We don't have the working holiday visas to supplement the workforce. And then we've got this changing attitude of people who have decided to choose other things in their life and not put work. So, you know, at number one. So then we've got people who are saying, I don't want to work. Or if I do, I want to work part time. So that's also cancelled out a whole lot. So as we come out of this lockdown, we're going to be even tighter for candidates. We we felt that way in January this year, and it's going to be worse, is my opinion. <laughs> well, thank you uh, for sharing that. From your perspective as a recruiter, it's worse. But for people who are job seekers who are looking to earn more, I guess it, it's a positive. Yeah, totally. It's really good. But here, and I always sort of balance this, it is absolutely in the job seeker's hands. But what you've got to do is respect that. So what you can't do is do things like so this is a good tip. So, you know, for people who are wanting to save money, make money, all of that sort of stuff, what you, what I would suggest you don't do is job hop. Just because you can get a job really easily doesn't mean that you should stay somewhere for six months and just because you don't like what your boss said to you that morning, quit because you can get a job the next day. One, that's not going to help your career long term. It's not going to help you get financially ahead. Even if when you go to your next job, you're getting extra 5K, 10K, 20K, whatever it might be. Trust me, long term, that will not help you for your career or for your financial situation. Mm, well, thank you for that. What about situations where it is a genuinely toxic situation? It's not just that you got offended because your boss asked you to do something and you didn't really want to do it, but it was perhaps in your key job description anyway. Yeah. What about a genuinely toxic situation? So it's really hard because, well, first of all, if it's genuinely toxic, then you should leave 100%. That's, that's, that's a given. But it depends on, it's so hard because if you leave straight away, 
what's your backup plan? So if you can have a backup plan and then leave is what I would suggest only because I would hate for that poor individual to be in a situation where they're in a toxic environment and then they leave but go to what? And now they've got financial pressure. There's a whole range of different options that people can look at. For example, if you can resolve it with with, with your boss, speaking to HR, documenting everything, of course, all of those sorts of things, understanding if it is truly a toxic environment or just something that is going on with that individual or something that's going on with you. All of these different Mm. things come into play, but I always think have some sort of plan if you are planning on leaving. And of course, any toxic environment, any any relationship, work or otherwise, that's toxic is not good for you and you should, in my opinion, leave. (laughs) Well, thank you for sharing that. And years and years ago, I had a boss who, she was new and it just, it wasn't good. She never really bonded with us. She didn't seem to trust us. It was fairly undermining. It was sort of not really committed, not really focused. And I was affected quite badly by this because she seemed to be quite critical as well. Anyway, it all came to a head, but what turned out the situation was, was she was going through some horrendous personal challenges. And I kind of wish that with the benefit of hindsight, I should have seen some of that compassionately. Like her treatment was not acceptable of her staff, but there was a broader issue that was happening. Look, and that that's so good. And it's it's nice that you have like awareness like that as well, because often when you're in a situation that is unpleasant, people automatically internalize it or think that it's something that they've done. And sometimes, or more often than not, it's actually sitting with the other person that something's going on in their lives. And even more so right now in the situation where people are in shutdown, lockdown, everything for this whole period of time, there is a, an enormous impact on people's well-being and mental health. And, you, you know, I think that showing compassion and kindness is, is, is a great thing. And I, I think sometimes managers, they're also learning their way. And But if you've got a manager that's communicating in a poor way or doing something that's not right, but they have self-awareness, then, you know, that's a good thing because if you can actually talk to them nicely about it and the the situation can be rectified, but sometimes it's not the case because it's too confronting for both people, isn't it? Well, it is, and often leaders don't share. They don't want to share that they're going through personal things. They think it's a weakness. Yeah, and yet if if you'd, I don't know, if it all came to a head and if she'd said to you, I'm really sorry, this is what's happening, I'm going to try and be aware of it, but I'm really sorry that that's impacted. I had no idea then, you know, things could have shifted and changed. Yeah, most definitely. Mm. So we were talking at the beginning about your gift that you have of being able to identify amazing gems of people through the recruitment process, which is obviously a skill you've honed through time. And in your book, you talk about some of these attributes that make for good employers. Could you speak a little bit about what you are looking for And I'm particularly interested for those who are looking to either enter the job market or to get a better job to know through your eyes and through other recruiters' eyes what they're looking for. Yeah, good good point, actually. And I might say the confusion sometimes when people come to recruiters is it doesn't matter so much because it's not the real job interview. Mm. But in actual fact, it's probably more important than the real job interview because The companies that engage us charge us with the responsibility of finding the best people for the job. And good recruiters take into everything. So they take into account the first phone call. They take into account the correspondence you might have via email. They take into account if you cancel and cancel and cancel all those things. 
and then you eventually do show up or if you're running late all the time or all of these things come into play because the, the companies hold us responsible for whoever we put in there. So when you come to an interview with a recruiter, the reason, the other reason or sort of embodied into this to treat it in, in a professional way and probably more importantly than the actual interview is because we're selecting who goes forward. So if you go direct to a company, they might have 100 people to choose from, whereas if you come directly to us, we're, we're selecting the three or two that might go forward. So it's just treat that, that interview with, your, with a recruiter the right way. So some of the things that we do look for, we want you to be really authentic in your interview because we want to know who you are so that we can work out all those attributes and skills to put you forward. So if, for example, you left your last job because it was a toxic environment, if you say to us, I left because it wasn't the right environment, we're going to know straight away that there's more to it, more to it, more to it. Far better that you share that so that we can help position you and then we help you be able to articulate that the right way when you go for the interview with the client or the company or wherever that might be. So we look for that. We look for non-defensiveness because if you're asked a question that's tough, and by tough I mean it's just, you know, for whatever reason you might struggle to answer it, it doesn't mean that's a bad thing, but the worst thing you can do is be defensive in, in, in an interview. And I know it's hard because we interview all the time and candidates are not interviewing all the time, so it's, you know, scary sometimes or people are nervous or anxious, but just try as much as possible to, re- to relax and, and be yourself and know that the recruiter is actually on your side. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's good advice. Mm-hmm. I was speaking actually last week with a friend who was saying that whenever she goes into interviews, she sort of just goes mind blank she gets so nervous and she feels that she can't answer the question yeah there's a tip I can maybe help with that and it's sort of no different even to what you and I are doing now in any situation that is important to you if it's important enough you need to put time into it and you need to prep so you know when you um, when we when you reached out to me and we'd organized this I'd and you you know kindly spoke to me about different areas I then wanted to make sure that I was prepared for you. So I spent time understanding you, listening to your podcast, you know, thinking about how I'd want to answer your questions so that I could give your audience the right answers. It's the same with an interview. Spend some time thinking about what the questions will be around the job. So think about the job, what will the questions be? And then here's my other tip. Lots of people won't do it, but it's it works. <laughs> Practice saying it out loud in the bathroom or wherever you wherever you are because the moment you can get the words out, you're not going to fumble on them. So the moment you can practice saying that same sentence three times, five times, ten times, then you're going to get used to it. And then when you're used to saying it and it comes out nicely, you're going to breathe and everything's going to be okay. But I just say practice answering the questions and that will help you to relax and, and not get so caught up about freezing. Thank you for that. And I guess it must be so difficult for recruiters too where you know you've got a really good candidate and yet they don't shine at an interview. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I think it's good when we can identify people who who have this great potential because at interview, interview's not a be all and end all. You know, like it's just one, one part of it. The other things that can indicate that someone's really great or has loads of potential will be in their resume. and or it'll be in other things that they've done non-work related. It could be, I don't, you know, here's something else, and this is maybe just my thing, but if I'm interviewing with someone who's, say, up to the age of 30, I always look back to see if they've had a part-time job or I always look back to see, and if it's a part-time job like McDonald's mm. or something like that or in retail. Frank, Franklin's in my case. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's all good because all of that stuff shows that at a younger age, you were taught the right boundaries in a work environment or work ethic or knowing that you've got to be there at a certain time and you can't let people down. Um, so all of those things come into play as well that can shine and help people to know if they've got potential because it's not just how you perform in an interview. Thank you. That's really good advice too. And you're right, it's that whole package of, of showing that you've got responsibility. And I think often when I went through school and when I went through university, there was a lot of focus on your grade point averages and your actual physical mm. grades and how smart, <laughs> inverted commas, you were perceived to be rather than some of those other other qualities. Yeah, and people get caught up in that. And I'm not saying that it's actually I love people who are smart. I work at work. I'm very lucky to work with some really great, smart people. But it's not necessarily smart as in great points like you've you've said there. And in actual fact, sometimes if people do well at school, get into university really easily, just, just fly through university, they're not always the, the key people who are going to perform. People think they're the ones that are going to like fly in life. But in actual fact, when I interview people and they've been to uni, I will always ask them questions about how tough was your course? Did you struggle? How much effort did you have to put in? When they say to me, oh, do you know what? I had to repeat a subject or I really struggled at this point, music to my ears because I want to know what you did to overcome that. I want to know how much effort you put in because if things are too easy in life, how do I know that you're resilient? How do I know that you've got stamina? How do I know that you're going to put in the effort and all of those things that come into play? So the smart is good, but smarts in shown in academic results is not always the be-all and end-all. So there's so much more to it than that. Thank you for that. And I guess when crafting a CV, those are the things that it's good to highlight. Is that that correct? The the degrees. The resilience and the different experiences. Yeah, although sometimes it's hard to do that in a CV. But there are ways that you can still show that subtly. Examples will be like if you've had a part-time job and a part-time job that you were there for three years, four years, five years, something like that is really great. Or if you did your degree, because, again, that's going to send the sign that 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 you were resilient, even in previous jobs. So in previous jobs, one of the things that recruiters do look for is longevity for that reason because it shows us that you could work with different personalities It shows us that you are dependable. It shows us that you must have been good enough for your boss to, you know, for you to be around for that long. It shows us that you were able to deal with difficult scenarios and situations, all those things that come into play. So your resume can can show that. But it's it's hard to say simply, oh, I was resilient because you'll need to come up with examples, but your resume can subtly show that in in those ways. And then the big question is the CV. How many pages? One page? Four pages? The whole, yeah. you know, Bible of your working history. Um, I know. You know. What should people be putting forward? And even colours and all those sorts of fancy things. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so depending on how much experience you have, typically it's three pages. I think in the States they like to have it on a one page and I understand that because it should be like a short summary and then it's really about the interview. But ideally like somewhere around three pages. Now if you are someone who's got, I don't know, 40 years experience and and you might be, I don't know, say if you're a CFO or something like that, your resume is probably going to be more like four pages or maybe even five. It just depends. But somewhere around that three-page mark is good. What you don't want to do is list duties. What you want to do is list achievements. So education, 
You want dates, so not just years, but months if possible as well. You want the name of the company, obviously. And then here's another tip. If you have left a company to follow your boss, then put that in there because then that will show loyalty, longevity, all of those things that mightn't show it if you've moved companies in one year, two years, six months, et cetera. But yeah, somewhere around that three pages, I think is ideal. Anything longer than that, you'd want to be because you've got loads and loads of experience. But another quick tip maybe, I talk about in, in the book Employable, I talk about a master CV. So a master CV basically captures everything you've ever done. So yeah, maybe McDonald's or Franklin's. Then it talks about your first job, your next job, wherever it might be. In that, put your duties, put everything you did, your achievements, awards, anything like that. And it's like a dumping ground almost. And then when it comes time for applying for a job, you go to your master CV and you go, okay, this job needs blah, blah, and blah. Okay, I'm going to pull out those last four jobs that I did, but I'm going to talk about this in my cover letter that was 20 years ago. So you, it, it helps you to have it all there at once instead of like draining your brain to remember and think of all the different things that you've got. Plus, your master CV will give you loads of confidence to know that all of these skills that you do have and it will show you the pathway and all of those sorts of things. So I think a master CV is a good idea to help you cherry pick. What I'm hearing is that you don't just have one generic CV that you just send out blindly. Definitely not. And especially now because the way that AI works as well. So it used to be that you could probably get away with that quite some time ago, but now you really want to make sure that you tailor your CV. So the the other reason for that is because it's so easy now, like when I first got into recruitment as a recruiter, showing my age now, but I'll share this with you. All of our CVs came from in the mail or on fax. <laughs> so they weren't emailed through. So what it meant was if you were a job seeker and you saw my ad that was in the paper on Saturday, you would circle it, you would type up a cover letter, you would make, you would type up your resume, you would print it. But all of this required effort because no one had printers at home. So you have to go somewhere to get it printed. You have to take it to the post office or fax it from somewhere. So all of it required effort. Now what happens is the job comes through online. You see, you go, oh, amazing. Click, send my resume off. Problem is your resume was for the job you applied for 400 adverts before that. So we're not tailoring the CVs now. So then as a recruiter, what happens is we have all of these ad responses that come through. The majority of them don't fit the role. People are just doing it on a whim, like, I'll give that a shot. Maybe I'll, you never know, I might have a chance of getting it. So it doesn't tailor it. So now what happens with technology is it'll pick up keywords, tailor your resume to the job description. Technology will help you to get through. That's a great tip. And I have to be honest and say I've been a bit guilty of sending mm-hmm. off the generic ones, mainly because when someone asks, I like to be responsive and send it off quickly. Oh, that's a bit different. That's okay then. If you've spoken to someone and you've described what you've, what you've been doing and they're like, send your resume, totally fine. That's different. That's okay. That's kind that's of good then. <laughs> so I have another question too which is particularly during COVID more and more people are choosing to work from home and of course we've also seen a little bit of a migration out of major urban centres into other Mm -hmm. areas so how does this work from a recruiter point of view are there more jobs out there that are looking for flexibility that they're happy to have someone from the coast working in a say a Sydney-based job or is there still a preference for people who are willing to be there in person Absolutely, 100%. This is all shifted and changed. In fact, we've just completed a survey. I was working on the weekend on it, compiling all the data from it. Nearly 20% of the people that we surveyed have relocated during COVID the last 18 months. 
the nice thing for people who are job seeking, if working from home is a priority for you, remember that we have a candidate issue. So businesses have to be flexible. So you sort of in a little bit of the driving seat there. However, not all work is suitable to, to, to be done from home. And even if your job is suitable to be done from home for the most part, I'd love for people to please be remembering this, that we're losing contact with people, you know, that human touch and that ability and our communication skills are also impacted and affected because if you're used to being in an office and you can ask a question in two seconds and then you get the answer or you're hearing just everything that's going on, you're across that project there, you know that that person's sick, you know that your teammate's going to be working till 7 o'clock tonight, so I'm going to help them do that. You miss out on all of that when you're working just remotely or by yourself. So I think there needs to be a an understanding of what remote or working from home benefits both the company and the individual. And then how do we bridge that? How do we make sure that the communication and the teamwork and all of those things are still in play so that everyone has a good result? And let's face it, I think you know Australia's got to come out of this shutdown with a really strong rebound for our economy and to be powerful, I think, is the and we can only do that through people. Yeah, you're right. It is through people who are willing to to work. I won't say work hard because I don't believe in hard work, but to work consciously. Yeah. To put in effort. And uh, yeah, I think it's about all of those things about having pride in your job, being engaged. It, 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 it's all of that. And I have one final question, hmm. which is: Do you have a frugalista tip to share? Yeah, probably. I, I, I'm not sure if I mentioned it earlier, but stay in your job. Not as in don't just. So my, my tip would be not to job hop just because you're having a bad day. You can get some enormous benefits when you stay in a position from learning. So learning, all of those things will help advance your career and make things better for you financially as well as career-wise. And not only that, you're investing in yourself. That That is what I think is important. So when you are investing in yourself, you're considering all of those things. And I think part of that is is learning when you're in the job. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Now, where can people find you? Obviously, you have your fabulous book, Employable. So people mm-hmm. can find that, I'm, I'm gathering, at bookstores. Yeah, it's in bookstores. It's Booktopia, Dimix, all of those places. And uh, um, otherwise, you can come to our website, which is my business website is S10, which is you know s10.com.au. <laughs> and otherwise, the book Employable, I'll just I'll flush it up. You'll see I've got post-it notes on it because I read it all the time. <laughs> but um, yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. If you've enjoyed this and other episodes, make sure to like, comment and share so that you can share the love with your friends and those who would benefit from this wisdom. Thank you so much once again for being my guest. Thank you. You've been listening to The Joyful Frugalista with Serena Bird. She actually likes everybody. And of course, sound has been by Neil Hadley.
say